covering all your favorite parts of the 50-yard fight. This is the Inside the Walls podcast with Zach Heilman and Jim Bernier. Welcoming in fans of the 50-yard fight, this is the Inside the Walls podcast. Zach Heilman sitting in, as always, to kick things off as we are in episode number 93. And we are officially past the week one mark in the 2023 NAL season. We had a slew of fantastic games go on this past week. And we're going to wrap some things up here and kind of talk about some of that action later on in our latest kind of revival of our recap series. We're going to call it NAL Rebound this year. I'm bringing in Jim Renier, of course, on the side here for NAL Rebound Week 1 Edition. So, got three recaps to go into, Jim. Got a little bit extra conversation as well because there are a few news bits that happened in between our last show and, well, kind of in this one we're going to touch on later. So stick with us. You might know one of them already. Um, we will touch on that said event in the Capital Region. Um, however, though, Jim, uh, quick thoughts before we jump into each game on week one. Nets are back. We did see some rebounds. We did see a bar ball in San Antonio. We'll talk about that as well. Um, but I'll, I'll, lead off, I'll lead off into your thoughts by saying a few kicks, I think, didn't all... There's less kicks that got to the Nets, I thought, than I was expecting. But at least we got to see a few of them. Well, it's early in the season. Uh, the streak for deuces didn't go as long as it did last year. We got a couple of deuces already in week one, which is positive. Um, but yeah, uh, I would love to see the Nets be more used uh, than previous uh, this episode, uh, not episode this week. Mm-hmm. But... There are a couple of things that uh, that popped up with like questions. Uh, a lot of the players from every game uh, still don't understand the rebound net rule on extra points. Every team was trying to return an extra point back after a missed field goal. Um, but that's little things that will be fixed. Uh, that's just more experience in the game. You'll get more used to it. But overall, we had some great action throughout the league. We had two teams introduce themselves in the league. One introduced themselves with a record-breaking performance. The other introduced themselves by being a casualty in their first game of the season. Um, but again, six teams played to kick off the year. Albany set back um, with their news uh, last week. And yeah, arena football is back. Nets may not have been, been used to, full, to their full potential in week one. But we still have 17 more weeks of reg- or 60 more weeks of the regular season left uh, for that. So it's a young season, it's an early season. Only six games, or six teams played, three games, and there's a lot more to come. You know what I will say at least, even if they weren't as consistently hit at the back end zone as possible, mm-hmm. at least there was more returns. I will always take more returns over a ball going back through the back of the end zone. That is always a better alternative. You know, Deuce will be the next one be below that, but or at its same level. But nonetheless, more returns. That's what I won. And we got one from Kendrick Ings this week that was returnable. And that one was nice. And we're going to see more of that as the season goes on as well. Not all the teams have played. I know Mark Orozco is going to get a few of those down there, and he will definitely get some rebounds. But again, the Nets did come into play for some of these games. They did impact some games as well, field position-wise in general because returns do help a lot in arena. If you get a good return, you can already be past the 25, set up easier scoring possessions and all. So, you know, it was good to see them back overall. It was nice. And just to have 
all three venues have them and be effective in some capacity during their games was great. So good first week to have the Nets back. Happy for it as well. We got three games to break down here, Jim. Um, all of them, I would, I would say two of the three, you know, really were competitive either close to the end or to the end. One of them started off a bit rough, but eventually I think the favorite kind of pulled things through and just kind of got sorted out from some uh, early game rust. Um, I'll let you decide this first rebound. Where, where are we going first? What, what do we want to analyze first? Uh, why not start week one off with record-breaking performance down in like Orlando? That. With the Fayetteville Mustangs knocking off the Orlando Predators, 68-43 to and M-Way Center. Uh, yeah, um, we're calling it the return of Cato, uh, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was pretty unique about this game is that we've mentioned it before in previous shows of uh, other quarterback in this league who made a massive jump from year one to year two. Mason said last week in the prediction show, you see a lot of quarterbacks mature or become a better quarterback in the arena game when they had a full off season after their year. Um, Kata went down was Kata was good last year, just made bad decisions. He leads a Fayetteville team into uh, Orlando and sets the national arena league record for the most points scored in week one. Um, that's impressive. And they broke a record that was held from the inaugural season of the National Arena League by the Lehigh Valley Steelhawks uh, at 66 points. They broke it. They have 68. Um, but all of that goes to the man himself. That's uh, Rakeem Cato. Rakeem Cato was 21 for 32 for 314 yards and seven touchdowns. I think he had the interception, but still, that's a, a, a tremendous number. Someone's like, did he set the record for the most touchdowns? Well, he set the record for the most touchdowns thrown by a quarterback in Fayetteville Mustang history. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a in a game, uh, I think the record's 11 uh, touchdown passes. And but that's not in the NAL though. That's in the arena game itself. But honestly, Trey Long, Kendrick Ings. You had other guys in there like Daniel Bender and Julius Gregory. Um, boy, Fayetteville, we, I, I can admit, we overlooked them. We overlooked them in week one. Uh, and, boy, they came out and shined. And the thing is, is the first half in that game was a true arena football game. Back and forth, uh, close. And one of the things that we usually say all the time, uh, Zach, turnovers – and possessions kill in this league. Yes, they do. They and are the deadliest disease of all for a team that is on a decline. You got to hold on to the ball, and you got to finish in the end zone, man. You cannot have four yeah. and outs. You just yeah, four can't and do it. And or, uh, Orlando had five turnovers that resulted in 26 points for the Fayetteville Mustangs. It's huge. Yeah. It's a huge turnover, like points off turnover margin. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, kudos to that Fayetteville defense when it mattered most. Like second half, pr- pretty much I would say late third quarter, they started clamping down. Like mm-hmm. they were getting pressures. They were forcing Jack she- Shaheen into awkward situations. And you were seeing more ducks thrown, more just kind of lob passes. They were playing good one-on-one defense. It was a really solid lockdown effort second half. And they were down by two TDs 
mid like early second early, quarter yeah. they were starting to get behind in possession i was like okay we might be seeing this kind of swing what we expect from an expansion team but they rallied but they rallied the troops they got a possession back they were pretty much neck and neck going into halftime and then they they clamped down second half and they rallied past them and eventually just throttled the predators in their own building it's impressive. It's, uh, I was talking to a couple of colleagues of mine. It was almost as impressive as when the New York streets went to Jacksonville and beat Jacksonville, Jacksonville after Jacksonville just came off of championship performance, uh, the previous year. Uh, it, that's a good showing. I don't care who you are. Um, that's it. The, the thing is now is for the people in Fayetteville to go out there and support this team. Cause by the looks of it from just week one observations, they 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 could be one of the teams that, like we mentioned, oh, they're in the muck. They could be one of the teams that are not even in the muck. They may be fully in that contention field uh, for the, the top four. Um, there were things in that game that I was very impressed about, Fave, yeah. how they performed, getting crucial turnovers. One, uh, we yeah, we, we said Trey Long was a beast as a receiver. He had 43 yards and three touchdowns, but he had a crucial pick six in that game. That I mean, really he's a, he's a candidate for Iron Man of the Week right now. I think he should be in Iron Man of the Week. Uh, there's there's could be other individuals uh, like, but still, um, Fayetteville. I don't know what was so successful for them, but it just for me, you look on the other side of the, the ball, is they shut down the whole entire team for uh, Orlando besides one individual. They basically, Fayetteville basically did the Darius Prince rule in arena football. And if you don't, ladies and if you don't know the Darius Prince rule, it's basically you let Darius Prince eat and you slow down everyone else on the team. That's how you, sometimes that's how you beat Albany. Yeah. Uh, what they did is they shut down everyone on the team besides Clarence Williams. Clarence Williams was a dog on Saturday night. Continuing his path from last year, basically. Exactly. Not even missing a beat. Fayetteville did a very good job doing that. Like, they shut down everybody um, and just let Clarence do this. In the arena game, you're going to have people score on you. I don't care who you are. But Fayetteville did enough. When they got the turnovers, unlike certain games around the league, it wasn't, hey, we got a turnover. Wait a minute. You know what? No, here, here's a turnover. No, no. Oh, you're giving us that turnover? Oh, well, here, we'll give it back to you. Um, that happened in uh, San Antonio. I think there was like four turnovers. It was back-to-back-to-back possessions. Uh, mm-hmm. In Orlando, it was turnover, score, stop, turnover, score. Like they, I think Fayetteville won like a 23 points unanswered in that game that flipped the game. And then they just took it over. And then the second half, their defense was getting pick sixes, turnovers. Uh, I don't know what they were doing. They were confusing Orlando, but from the observations, they were that's they were doing the Darius Prince rule. You let Clarence Williams do his thing, and we're going to shut down everyone else and make the quarterback make a decision. It's like, hey, if you want to beat us, you're going to have to have your secondary receivers do something. And they couldn't. Lonnie Outlaw was Lonnie Outlaw in the first half. Second half, he was a non-factor. Yeah, to, to put this in perspective, Orlando, basically, you're talking about last year's same troubles showing up again. Mm-hmm. So first half, it's a one-point game, 34-35, which, by the way, I want to see more games like I saw in Fayetteville and Orlando this year, and that's what yeah. the Nets, I think, helped do. 
I want to see those high scoring 60, 70 point winner type of games. Cause that to me is arena football, you know, that crazy, like you don't know who's going to finish last, you know, it's basketball esque. That's what I like. So like that halftime score is like, yeah, this is awesome. 35, 34. And we still have a whole half of football, but you know what happened? You know, what we talked about last year with Orlando, you know, mm-hmm. with, even with Rakeem Cato on this roster, they, they halves just would disappear, completely vanish. They yep. got outscored second half, and I'm, I'm putting this down for you just to, just to show you how bad this was. They got outscored in the second half 34-8 to eight in the second half. The only point they got in the fourth quarter was a bad kickoff that went out of bounds and got affected by the new Manas rule. That's how bad they were second half. That's how good the Mustangs were at shutting down the Preds second half. That is not what you want to see a, tr- a continuing trend from last year. That was what you brought Herky Walls in and brought all these receiving talents in for was to change how that was, mm-hmm. to stay consistently in pace with your opponents. Fayetteville kept on going upwards, yeah. complete brick wall from Orlando, and that's not a good tracking sign if you're a Preds fan because this is basically – much like how we just said Clarence Williams is beat for beat going what he had at the end of the year last year. The Preds are doing the exact same thing that plagued them last season. Mm-hmm. Not a promising trend to start off week one. And they got Albany coming this week that yeah. they have to figure that out with too. Well, uh, coming up next week, they got, they're going up against Albany. They need to get Rob Jones in the mix. Uh, he, he got well, a little look, bit in it. Yeah. You have talent and receiver everywhere. Right. Um, well, I mean, well, I mean, think about this with the stat sheet. And by the way, got to give props to the NAL teams this year. The stats were quick and accurate this year, right out of the gate. Guys, you get a big thumbs up because this helps us talk about the game way more. I mean, we saw it, but we can at least bring numbers. People love the numbers in, in this as well. So thank you for that. But I mean, you look at like the breakdown for the Preds. You know, the Preds, you're talk, we've talked, they have receiving talent. There's no doubt about it. We know what Lonnie Outlaw can do. We know what Rob Jones can do. Caleb Walls, who was, you know, has his own moments. He's more of a, I'd say, supporting actor, but he does a lot of good stuff. You know, those three receivers combined had 135 yards. Caleb, Clarence Williams had 120 by himself. And, that, now, and that's impressive for a solo act. But if we've seen in recent years... You generally want to have your second receiver, to me, at least get half. I would say if you can at least get half the production as your primary one, where it's like, say, the one's getting 100 and the other's getting like 60 to 80 on the other side, that's good. And that's good ball distribution. But like to me, Lonnie Outlaw is a type of receiver that, to me, should be getting like 60 to 80 yards a night. Or Rob Jones. They're both that deadly. So, like, the 12 receptions is great for Clarence Williams, but eventually defenders go, oh, I see. You're just going for Clarence. All right, well, we'll just defend Clarence Williams. <laughs> and, I mean, I don't know about you, but offense kind of gets shut down. You have halftime adjustments. Coach Gunnings, he's a veteran arena coach. That seems like a thing that he, that happened there is they just went, okay, well, we're just going to, in the red zone, just kind of bottle up your main guy and see who you can throw to. And it sure looked like that pressure was getting to Jack. Jack would throw a bad ball, pick off. Possession goes the other way because the Preds' defense can't stop a wet paper towel. Good analogy. Uh, that happens. <laughs> uh, but a lot of fans will say, will comment here, why you give it to Darius Prince? Why, why you name it? Why not, not other another player? Uh, it's like in the NFL. Like some teams you play are college football. 
you can shut down their running game, and you know their quarterback can't beat you because he's not a good quarterback, or vice mm-hmm. versa. We can shut down your passing game because we know you can't run the football. In Albany, Darius Prince is the – before Castronova was there, Darius Prince was the man. He's still the man. Um, now that Castronova is there, he, he's the deed man now. He Darius Prince is involved. Uh, in the arena game, because there's not a lot of running in the arena game, so you don't need a great run defense. You need to find a way how to choose how to like how do you want to lose a game by death by a thousand cuts or instant blow. Usually, as a def- defense, you either rather give up the quick touchdown because you can get back on offense and you kill the clock and score, or do you want an offense that will just nickel and dime you down the field, eat up the clock, then score? Mm-hmm. The thing that you see about Orlando this past weekend is when Fayetteville knew. Oh, only Clarence Williams is doing this. Let him do it. Let's take out everyone else and let them go, oh, first, second, third down, can't score, throw deep. Oh, okay, score a touchdown, Clarence Williams, or incomplete, we got the ball on the you know the opposite side of the field. You saw that in Albany in the last two years. Teams decide, let Darius Prince do his thing. We're going to take care of Antoine Grant. We're going to take care of, uh, well, as the, season, as the years progress, it – you, then you got Malachi Joan and Alawasha. That was you couldn't do the Darius Prince roll that right, much. Right, well, yeah, back then. was there. I mean, they had to start yeah. diversifying the portfolio. Like Dwayne Hollis had to get more involved. Exactly. You know, and again, like you're talking, they got guys like Lonnie Outlaw. We know we were hype. We've been hyping Lonnie Outlaw all year. Yes. This guy can take over games. He was that guy for Columbus, and I I don't know if it's maybe just because he's playing two ways or what, what. But I mean, or just maybe that. Clarence Williams is that is gotten and become that number one target, but like though there are talents here. You should be able to distribute the ball and get a few folks that are mm-hmm. up there in that sixty to eighty yard range that you can rely yeah. on, you know, a little bit more. Um that I was kind of surprised like that it had to be that heavily leaning on Williams's talents to run this offense. So, you know, that's something they're gonna have to work on because that is predictable for good coaches. Good coaches will follow those tendencies and they'll start changing things around. So and Coach Orlando's and crew, they get a bunch of props because they they saw the tendencies. They figured it out second half, and that's and or, what killed them. And Orlando doesn't have anything. Their next week opponent is, you know, they they don't have to worry. They only have to go up to Albany to take on a championship team uh, that has been in the news a lot lately. So you know they're going to be hungry up there. So for the Orlando fans, it's not a, like, red flag, red alert, you know, panic mode. Mm-hmm. It's only the first game of the season. You guys, a couple years ago, started, I think, the season 0-3, managed to get into the playoffs. It's a long year. Uh, you'll find the mix. You'll find the right connections. Well, and the first time, not, not first time, as the game ended, I got a message in one of our pages, like, and you voted these guys as the number one receiving core. I was like, yeah, we did, and – I think I mean, it was just a Fayetteville just you know just had the perfect scheme, and now they're going up to Albany, and Albany's going to be like, okay, let's do it. Um, but yeah, uh, it's week one. It's still early. Like, what's the what's the the coaching saying? Like, the between week one, and week two is when your team can improve the most throughout the season. I, I think, uh, yeah. I mean, to me, you learn about yourself a lot. And I think you're also getting over beginning of season jitters as well. Exactly. Um, I, I just think for the Preds, you know, 
nip this in the bud quick. Like I said, this is the exact same trend that happened last year. Um, I will give props. First half, Jack Jack Sheehan, I thought, mm-hmm. did a really solid job and came as advertised from Green Bay. Yeah. Um, you just got to make sure, and that's the thing, Duke can sling it, but you got to be consistent and you got to – that's why we, I also argue you need to find more, be able to more consistently find your other targets than just Clarence Williams. Because yeah. if you're not comfortable with getting to Lonnie or getting to Rob Jones, or if Rob and Lonnie don't know what you want, then that's when it leads to panics and then interceptions. Like Jack's threw five touchdowns, but four picks will not get it done. You can't do that in arena. You know, four interceptions will generally lose, will generally completely flatline you in the end mm-hmm. of the day. So. You know, they know the adjustments that are needed. I think Herky has some good things that they can take away from this offensively. But, I mean, if you're on the defense, you got to throw this tape away and you just got to hope to God you can reset and get things done. Another note that's something someone brought up to me, and I guess I didn't hear it. I don't remember a transaction happening at all on the NAL page is Brandon Fuentes is not with the Preds. And I guess that was revealed at one of the Preds live events or either that or online, it was brought up to me by uh, one of the folks on the NAL community page. And maybe I'm wrong. I I don't know if you've seen, Jim, I have not seen a transaction with the Predators about it, which is a little frustrating because Brandon Fuentes is a really good player, and it kind of changes how I view their defense without him being there. Mm-hmm. Because I really thought they were going to be one of the tops in the league now that him and Jenkins are on the field. But now that you're back to last year where you have to rely on Jenkins mm-hmm. and Randall it puts the prospects back to where I, they were last year, where I need to see improvements from areas that weren't very good in terms of guys that are getting used to Iron Man, like say Lonnie Outlaw in the secondary. It, it, it it's something that kind of blindsided them both because you had Brandon Fuentes winning defensive player. Well, yeah, of the year. I had his defensive player of the year because I'd be um, I thought he was going to come back, but I, it, I haven't seen a transaction for it. Uh, Sam, it's I haven't seen one either, and we were brought to our attention. Um, I actually reached out to uh, one of Brandon Fuentes' connections, and uh, from his point of view, he's uh, he's kind of retired or just taking the season off. Uh, I think he just recently got engaged, so congratulations. Uh, I think I think there I think he's mentally somewhere else in a better place, probably. Um, But yeah, it's kind of a blow. But again, um, you you have Jenkins still back there. Right. Problem. The problem is, is when Front Frontes and Brian Fuentes and Jenkins were back in the backfield or in the secondary together, that was a good combo. Well, it was they were they were pretty good, and now you got to have players that need to step up. And from the first half, they looked like they had everything situated in Orlando. The second half, uh, Fayetteville found something and basically just say, you know, we're going to let one guy eat and we're going to shut down everybody else. But before we go to the next game, we do have to say something positive about Orlando. And I'm talking about the people of Orlando and the fans of yeah. Orlando. 7,328 fans in attendance at Amway Center this past weekend. That's incredible. That's what I'm, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about, man. That is um, incredible. Actually, you, you want to say this because this puts – there's a much bigger perspective as type of stat. Yes. Between that uh, and another professional team in town that really should. Because I can I can you know, stab them because I don't like that name of the other team. Um, yeah, the Orlando Proud Pro, uh, Pro, the Orlando Predators <laughs> outdrew the Orlando Guardians, um, and they play in one plays in the outdoor football stadium and one plays in Amway Center. Um, 
that's impressive when you outdraw a outdoor football. I'm calling it now. The Preds audience is back. We've been talking about the growth of this team, getting its culture back in Orlando. Mm-hmm. I think it's back. It's time now to bring winning football back to the Preds, which is why you got to nip this in the bud and kind of wash the tape away because the, the crowd's back. The fans, they definitely return. This is They're back to me being a staple of the Orlando community and the sports scene, which mm-hmm. is awesome. It took a few years, of course. It was going to, but people now remember the Preds, and they come to Amway for it, and that showed on on Saturday night. That was yes. awesome to hear 7,000 on, on the home opener, which definitely Great exceeded fans. last year's home opener. So that's awesome. So the crowd's there. They just got to start winning games now. That's the thing. It's a tough, and that's tough because the NAL is tougher than it's ever been now. If Fayetteville did what they did last night, it's going to be hard mm-hmm. sledding all year <laughs> in that case if the Mustangs are as good as they were to start the season. Well, the attendance numbers in Orlando is a very positive sign, and now you're going to have two of the bigger brands host this weekend with Albany and Jacksonville hosting their first home game. So hopefully mm-hmm. we see some good numbers by those two uh, teams, especially up in Albany because it's the banner reveal and also I think there's a little bit of hype up there for attendance. And, of course, Jacksonville's Jacksonville. You know about Jacksonville and their attendance. And I'm not going to, you know, talk about that. Because we – we have multiple games to talk about, and I'm not going to be the person to just, you know, glorify and celebrate a win. Um, I'm not that type of guy, but the Sharks do flex their <laughs> muscles in the second half in Odessa this weekend oh. up in uh, in West Texas. And Jason Gibson gets his first win uh, with the Jacksonville Sharks to improve the 12-3 and versus NAL expansion debuts um, the Jacksonville Sharks. So, yes. Um, I wasn't going to, you know, flex or anything, but yeah. I wasn't going to flex, but, you know, just just so we were clear. Well, look, I get, kudos to the to Jason Gibson and the Sharks getting it done um, because it, it sure started pretty ugly uh, over there in Odessa. Um, if it, I mean, 0-0 fair, um, interceptions left and right from both sides. It really just was going to come down to whoever – could get the tires on the track and start getting this tr- and start getting that thing down the road. Uh, Jacksonville was able to do it second half uh, with much, with a lot much ease. I would say <laughs> to, they, they definitely got their feet under them and kind of ran away a- after, you know, just getting, I mean, defensively the sharks, as you were advertising, Jim, they, they held their end of the bargain, you know, I mean, they left and right getting pressure on Daniel Smith, getting interceptions, you know, causing some just I would just some unorthodox plays from the West Texas side that that coach Tate Smith's gonna have to clean up uh for this coming week um but yeah Jacksonville once they got their feet under them once Connor Blount was started to get comfortable they started heating up mm-hmm. and Cameron Solomon heated up too along with it yeah leading receiver by the way of the National Arena League right now um, yeah, I remember that camera. Well, it's only about eight yards. Uh, I have to, I have to, you know, be excited <laughs> until it, that record gets destroyed by a certain receiver from up north. Um, it, uh, Connor, a little shaky in the first half, mm-hmm. but if you told me that he threw for seven touchdowns, I'd be like, no, there's no way he threw for seven touchdowns. He threw for seven touchdowns. Uh, he matched Cato uh, 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 um, with seven touchdowns, but Cato. Yeah, had better. I think if Cato had a more, um, how can I say this? Cato has more experience, so you saw the evolution of Cato from last year to this year. Cato this also is, had some very flashy on the run plays too. Exactly, that I think highlights a bit more of that even. 
Uh, Connor, a little shaky. His first ever start in arena ever. So, new system, new style of game. The first half was like, oh my god, this is really. Ugh. And when you tell me, hey, what's the final? What's the what's the score at the end of the first quarter? When it's zero to zero, in an arena football game. Gasp. That's either a. These are two bad teams playing each other. Or B, these are two teams that are just very sluggish out of the gate. And if you watch the game, sluggish is the correct answer. Both teams were sluggish as heck. Turnovers, penalties, and then finally Jacksonville gets his touchdown. They were going for extra point. West Texas got offsides. Jacksonville gets back on the once for goes for two, hits the, gets the two point conversion. They hand it off to Anthony Johnson. Then uh, Daniel Justino hits a perfect deuce, and all of a sudden it's ten nothing Jacksonville. And I was like, okay, let's see what West Texas can do. They went right down the field to score too, but they failed to convert on the extra point. Jacksonville then took a seventeen to six lead, and then turnovers started happening. Marvin Ross is being the vet that he is. Two crucial mm-hmm. uh, uh, interceptions. One led to a touchdown, or one led to a pick six fumble touchdown. Uh, the other one was a, almost a pick six. Um, Jacksonville's defense, the Jacksonville's veteran leadership in this in the backfield or in the secondary, really was a determining factor in this game. And also, it does kind of help when Jason Gibson is your head coach and the quarterback on the other side of the field played for him last year, and Daniel Smith. So Gibson knew who he was playing against. Um, but overall, for Jacksonville, Solomon had a great game, 136 yards receiving, four touchdowns. Um, if there was an offensive player of the week, most likely it's going to give it to Rakeem Cato of his performance. But if he he gets the quarterback of the week, whatever. But besides him, Solomon has a great argument for this week. Uh, he basically put the team on his back after Darian Townsend went down. And Solomon's like, hey, I'm taking it and let's go. Uh, one of the other geek guys that I think we need to um, mention is like I like we told before about West Texas. We don't know a lot of these players until we get introduced to them, and a couple players uh, stood out. And you have um, excuse me, I, I had a caffeinated beverage before this, ladies and gentlemen. Never <laughs> do that before recordings. Bad, bad, bad. Uh, the, the the guys I'm gonna talk about. Sorry, is Jordan Grady. Uh, he had eight, uh, three receptions for 80 yards in the touchdown, and also uh, um, Pigman Jr. had three, uh, three receptions, 113 yards, and a couple touchdowns. They introduced themselves to the game, uh, which was pretty good. Uh, when Pigman was making that against Marvin Ross, I knew he's, I knew he was legit. Uh, Marvin Ross does not give up a lot of touchdowns, and when you get him pretty a couple times, you are making a name for yourself. That's like when you go, up, when you see these guys play up against like Kenny Veal, Mishan Robinson. They, uh, when you go up to Albany, when you go up against uh, Arthur Hobbs and um, who else is up there in Albany? I forgot the guy's name. Uh, he, well, Arthur, Arthur Hobbs, he's in, well, he's in San Antonio. I now, mean, San Antonio, so my bad. That's what we're saying. Um, there's, there's a couple of Jenkins. I can name players. Jen- right. I mean, if you can um, go against the tops of the league, like, yeah, you're, like you said, Ross, Jenkins, you know, Rodney Hall when he was in, you know, when he was in last, last year. Carolina, yeah. I mean, we, we can talk about other others too, like uh, Doral Green. I mean, you know, they, if you're able to burn guys, you know, mm-hmm. and he was getting some streak route, some streak routes, and just flat out outrunning 
He's around running roster and company down the sideline at times. You know, that's how a few, that's, that was how a few of those touchdowns came to be for West Texas. It was either you just had dudes that were great with yards after the catch, mm-hmm. um, or, you know, you get that once in a full moon shot that just happened to land. And, no. you know, I would say, uh, Peg, look, I think it's LeGrant Pegram is who you're talking about. Pegram, just yeah. to clear clarify you know pegram definitely was that was a silver lining for west texas i thought mm-hmm. as well as their first half defense um because i mean you know they still have the likes of like a savante davenport you know carrie starks didn't he got a sack you know so that's good you know getting his pressures in as needed um but i would say that defense had a did its end of the bargain until it couldn't do it anymore because i mean when you're when you have smith who threw four picks of his own and some of them were you know worst case scenario right right in your own essentially your own 10 yard line your red zone you know on a few of those possessions you're not doing yourself justice and, and I, that might come back to the offensive line on some of those because there were pressures that the sharks mm-hmm. were getting that you know what do you do with smith you know there's a few times where he's basically just trying to throw up a prayer so he doesn't have to take a sack and it led some to a few were picks answered. yeah some prayers were answered most were not or were mm-hmm. thrown interceptions um and there I were think a couple that, that's plays. Be the main thing. There was a couple plays in that game where Daniel Smith was literally his back was towards the offensive line. When you're a quarterback and your back's going up but facing the offensive line, you're not in a good position. And no. <laughs> there was a point in that game where he 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 was running away. The uh, Shakai Holiness just blew through the line and about to sack him in the end zone and. He does this sidearm throw out of bounds, and you, clearly it's a safety. It's a safety in any rule in football. And he's uh, either him or the coach was arguing so that's not intentional grounding. Well, there is intentional grounding because the close receiver is 25 yards down the field. Right. And I was like, man, what happened? And I rewatched that play over again. Is You started to see it in the first quarter. The the front five for West Texas was just getting manhandled by the front five of Jacksonville, both sides. Because as you know, Iron Man, you play both sides of the ball. Mm-hmm. You can tell that, and it was giving me a strange vibe. I, I guarantee our listeners who are big college football fans will know this. It's when you see like Ohio State and Alabamas in the world play. You know the Chattanoogas and the Eastern Washingtons of the world, where. They're, they can keep up with the big dog for about a quarter. And if not, something doesn't break for them in that first quarter, you can tell that the skill of the other team just eventually is just too much for them to handle. Then you get that close game early in the first quarter. Turns out to be a 30-40 point beating at the end of the game. And I noticed that with West Texas. Like, there's a bunch of cats on West Texas that this is the, this is the highest level of football they've played in the arena game. And you could tell that they were going toe-to-toe with the Sharks, going blow-by-blow blow in, in the first half, first quarter, about second halfway through the second quarter. But you could tell that the experience of the Sharks and the mentality of the Sharks are, they were the Alabama of that day, of, of Saturday. And uh, West Texas was at Chattanooga, was at Eastern Michigan, or it was that smaller school that they had fight, they had grit, they just didn't have enough to get over that hump. Or they didn't have that moment in time where – you can see upsets happen. It didn't happen for them it's because mm-hmm. turnovers killed, penalties killed. I I think I think I count in rewatching the game nine nine plays in a row that there was penalties. Yeah, the, the beginning of the contest was it was pretty rough. It was nasty um, <laughs> for both I, sides. I mean, I, I'll be honest with you, like 
I, I, if you're a new fan of this game, that was not the game you wanted to start with. I, I, no. <laughs> I, I, I was act, and th- this is this is me. Most some may, people might take this the wrong way, but I was doing this for the sake of a new fan. I was some. I was on the stream actually going like, "Hey, if you want to come back later in this one, that's cool. I recommend you head over to like Orlando, Fayetteville, or like San Antonio, mm-hmm. and Carolina because this one was start. I mean, it was rough. Like it was." Whoa. It was like discombobulated both sides type of rough. I, I know it's rough because I was talking to you on my phone, hauling my butt back home for the wedding. Trying to like, what's going on with the sharks? Because reception stinks here with the YouTube stream. And he's like, oh, this is what's going to happen. This is happening. And luckily for the sharks Twitter game, um, I don't know who operates your Twitter. They were doing pretty well updating scores and say this is what's going on. So I knew the score but one thing that was all very relevant when I got to the back to the house and what you mentioned and what we've seen on chat rooms and all is the basic fan who may have tuned into that game Saturday night had no idea what how much time was left in the quarter, had no idea what the score was, and had no idea where the ball was. Those were some things that were popping up like crazy. Besides the game itself. Those are the most relevant things. Uh, that's a shame. Yeah, and I, it I, is because that, that is a shame. And I know this is not a shot out to West Texas, but one thing I noticed about the arena game: there are two fan bases in this sport. You don't piss off because a they have the biggest fan bases, and if you tick them off, they're not going to watch your brand. Also, and that's going. <laughs> Um, one's in this league, the other one's in another league out west in the state that uh, Zach I'm, I'm lives in. Currently residing. <laughs> <laughs> um, those are the two organizations where I, I remember watch. I, I actually rewatched it, and someone made a comment like, "This is the lowest viewed road game the Sharks have uh, the Sharks have played in that I've seen." Where he said, "There's only 300 people in here. That's low for." Uh, even though Shark Road game, there's that. It's usually touching 5K when sharks are on the road. Um, it's a little thing. So the game itself, the first half was so, uh, like it gave me vibes of South. It gave me vibes of Columbus and San Antonio week two from last year. How that game was just, just nasty. No, that wasn't week two. No, that was week two. Yes. Um, because week one was Jacksonville and Columbus, Mm -hmm. was how penalties, turnovers, just really crapped the game out. This first half was just like that. Second half got better. Connor started to settle down. And I saw someone on Twitter, or YouTube stream, a listener, I don't know if he listened to the show, he made a comment that I didn't didn't said to you on the phone. It was like, when Connor's doing a dug in, you know you're losing. <laughs> that that killed me. The, so apparently the guy who on the chat knew who Connor was. Apparently he's not a dancer. So when he when he's doing the dug the dugie, I'm like, oh, that's funny. Oh, that, that was one of the highlights of the night. We actually was seeing him at the end of the game doing a dugie, throwing a but, TD to kind of extend the lead. But for Jacksonville's sake, ugly game, ugly performance. Um, but like what Gibson said. You'd rather take the ugly wins in a heartbreaking loss. So they got the win. They're one to know. They're coming home against San Antonio in uh, Vice Art Veteran Memorial. From what I've seen, ticket sales are going great. There's going to be a big crowd there. I'm looking forward to it. I'll be there, of course. Um, it's going. It's going. 
Jacksonville has a lot of optimism. There are a lot of players on the team that people won't know who they are on the offensive side of the ball. But I saw signs from Connor in the second half that I'm like, they can build something around this. Now you're not in a opposing stadium. You're in the friend confines in Vicar Veteran Memorial Arena Saturday. So you'll 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 play better at in your home audience. And I think you as the weeks progress, like we've seen with Cato year last year to this year, the evolution, you'll see that with Connor as he gets better as the year go, go on. So for the people out there, if you want to get the Sharks, get them now. Don't get them later because I think they'll be a better team later in the year than they are now. Mm-hmm. Um, for West Texas side of things, uh, you gave Jacksonville all you all the, the fight, a game that honestly a lot of people expected you guys to just you know fold. You about, went toe to toe with the Sharks in the first half. About two and a half quarters. I mean, they, they, it was a one-possession game, about two and a half quarters, and then things kind of started falling off the tracks after, afterwards. But, I mean, West Texas, for what it's worth, you know, like I, like I was hint, like we were talking, defensively, they held their end of the bargain until they couldn't mm-hmm. anymore. I mean, I, you know, that, that's something that they're going to have to do is, you know, offensive line protection is going to have to be addressed right out of the gate, and you just got to find a way to make – yeah. Daniel Smith more comfortable even in that case or get him or get maybe faster routes generally the best way to to combat pressure get the ball out do like dink and dunks let your receivers do yards after the carry which you can effectively do in this game with those kind of just like shallow crossers or the quick hooks you know let guys and get in space and I think yeah. that's going to be a big thing is West Texas might have to be one of those teams that just kind of chips away down the field and relies on their defense to slow down the competition because Long bombs will come every now and then, like we saw. But I think your best strategy is to alleviate any way that you're getting pressure, oh. and that's just to throw the dang thing before you even have a chance to see the whites of the defender's eyes. Agreed. And also for West Texas, it's week one. It, like, that too. That it's still early in the year. Um, <laughs> it is early in the year for that. It's early in the year for roster changes. We all know roster changes are coming. Yes. It happens in the NAL every year. It Do does. not be surprised anymore if you see something happen. Uh, there, there, there's going to be change. They're like the roster for West Texas is going to be completely different in Week Eight than it is right now. Same in Jacksonville, same in Carolina, same in in Fayetteville. It will change. Um, for West Texas, what you, what you're going to have to do is next week you're taking on a Carolina team who just came off of a grunt, a gut wrenching performance in San Antonio. How it ended. Yeah. Um, you look. It's like what would you look forward to Carolina? You're you're going to play up. You're going to be playing against a more experienced quarterback this time, but I can. I, I don't want to say it, but I can say that you're going to play against a defensive line that's not as not the same caliber as Jacksonville as at this point. Uh, so you could have some advantages there. But one thing about Carolina, one thing about Charles McCollum is you, you're going to, you're going to go against a very healthy receiving core. You're going up against Jacksonville receiving core that was walking was coming in wounded, and they lost one there, um, uh, Darren Townsend. So uh, there's little things there. But for West Texas, uh, some of the observations I've seen from this game uh, this past week is you have to find a way to get Dar- uh, Daniel Smith sm- go into the game smoothly. Like there's plays in that there's series in that game. Like there's uh, dump off one night there, dump off, they'll just chuck it. Mm-hmm. Um, that works uh, again. Like I mentioned, the previous game with Clarence Williams, 
teams will find out who your main guy are, main guy is, and they'll just let him do this thing. And if you can't establish a consistent offensive attack, teams will just you can, really can't stack the box in the arena game. They'll start finding your tendencies, and Jacksonville found Daniel Smith's tendency early, and you can see the results there where you have more interceptions than touchdowns. And uh, we forgot to mention that, uh, uh, like Connor, uh, Connor Blau. Went 19 for 40, almost 50 percent passing completion, 288, seven mm-hmm. touchdowns, two interceptions. Daniel Smith, on the other hand, was completely different, and that was the determining factor in the game. My opinion, the quarterback play was almost uh, back and forth. Daniel Smith was 12 for 28, 259, three touchdowns, four interceptions. The Sharks scored 20 points off of those four interceptions, and that was the flipping point of the game. And of course, the attendance was not reported. Um, heard various numbers of both uh, tenants' numbers. One was like 1,200 and the other one was 1,400, so I can't get the actual number yet. So if West Texas fans or listeners are here that know the attendance, please let us know. We love to track the attendance for the league. Um, but yeah, for overall for West Texas, the broadcast, like we had a friend of the show join us, uh, Bryce Burge. He has a history of uh, covering arena games from the IFL, CIF, AFIA, so many leagues. And he, we brought him on to talk about from outside perspective of what the NEL and what teams and organizations need to do to really help produce, um, not really better, but help elevate the National Arena League's presentation and production um, for the YouTube stream. So the upcoming segment, it's a, it's just the little things, uh, YouTube production-wise. Uh, we do this every year uh, after first week. This is not to the fans or so. Well, you guys are po- official podcasters or bashing the league. Uh, this is constructive criticism. We, me and Zach, love this league. We support this league. Uh, but there are some issues in the West Texas. There was issues in San Antonio. Uh, they were. Uh, I don't think there was really issues in Orlando. This is not a attack on the broadcasters, the people, the the color commentators. We're not doing that. Uh, all all three games, they had their thing, the, they had their crews, they had their vibes, they had their jokes. Mm-hmm. And you're right, Donnie was one. Um, I'm so San, glad to hear that again. Uh, San Antonio guys were trying to order uh, breakfast tacos at eight o'clock <laughs> at night. And the guys over in West Texas were determining why the Jacksonville Sharks were named the Jacksonville Sharks and why the colors were red and black. Because uh, sharks are usually gray and silver. <laughs> so that was an interesting <laughs> conversation. So, But one thing I do want to say is all three broadcasting crews were prepared. They knew the players. Uh, they knew the rules. They understand the rules. They interacted with the fans. This is not a slight at them. Uh, this is just a constructive criticism interview with Bryce from an outside perspective what the National Arena League uh, should do for future productions of the show to make our league and our sport that we love become its top grade, in my opinion. Zach? Yeah. 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 I mean, t- take a listen. We'll, we'll discuss a little bit further on just kind of our final thoughts on this. But, I mean, truth is, like Jim said, it's constructive criticism. And I think – those we know that listen to this show that are in the league, just listen to us again if you do. Maybe a little more this time than recent years. So, as Jim said, let's take let's have our conversation with Bryce and uh, kick things off. 
going to welcome aboard a good friend of the show, good friend of ours in the arena scene, and uh, of course, an 11 time Michigan Associated Broadcast Award winner himself, Bryce Burge, onto the show. Uh, you might have heard in the lead in here, we, we're, we have some thoughts on the NAL broadcasting situation. Um, we've all talked about it, us three, and I think we just want to lay out our thoughts on this because me and Jim have done this show now for three years, three different seasons. Bryce has, has watched countless. Jim's watched even more countless than myself. It's kind of getting old. And I think we need to start talking a little more actively in the community on what we can maybe ask or figure out why this happens on a consistent basis. And Bryce, uh, well, let's just start off with your, yourself here. I, I, I'm, I'm in broadcast. I, full disclosure, I, I work for Fox Television. That is my daytime job. Um, I see this. I know the NAL is a small time gig. I know it's not as big as like, say, you know, any of the major sports that are on TV, like the big five, but I feel like in a modern streaming world, a lot of this stuff should be a little more simple to accomplish than what we're seeing now that we like West Texas last weekend, no offense. That was, was pretty bad. Yeah, uh, they, they struggled as a whole uh, from top to bottom. Uh, their broadcasters had kind of talked a little bit about things uh, in regards to the replay compared to the scorebug. And scorebugs are so important these days mm-hmm. when you're flipping between. Not everybody's got multiple devices. They just put on one game and they want to know what the score is quickly. And then when they're done with the, the drive, they, they hop over to another NAL game. And it's, it's important to have that score bug there to, to, to line up. But they decided to go with the replay uh, view instead, which is a, a decision to make by the director. But as a whole, we've seen across the board numerous issues plague the NAL in the past, anywhere from too loud crowd music tipping off YouTube uh, triggering their anti-plagiarism and anti-piracy software to shut down an entire broadcast of streams after the fact, uh, to the audio issues that we heard in West Texas as well in that broadcast. They just struggled from top to bottom. It's very difficult at this time when it's not just other leagues that you have to worry about. It's other sports entirely. I mean, I'm up in Michigan. Uh, this is where I live now and and have that background, but I use various indoor and arena leagues to get back into journalism. And every while, now and then I still hop on the mic. I called a game between two schools that had less than 100 kids, K through 12 combined, and they had broadcasting and streaming capabilities. And it was better than what West Texas put together without trying to knock on them that their athletic director installs video systems for a living. So he has that background, but it's just showing that in the arms race of broadcast streaming, the NAL is starting to fall behind where when they were a leader within the sport, now, now they need to make some, some moves. Right. I, I think for me, you know, I, I have listened to every argument on teams. I get certain things, internet connection. It, it varies venue to venue, community, to community. I understand that um, some stuff does come down to financials, but again, you know, keep in mind when you're applying for leagues, that is something you have to live up. The NAL, I know that it, <laughs> to me, the talent level matches any in any in this nation in terms of the 50 yard game, but it always kills me when something like this doesn't highlight the game as well. And, it, and as for TV angle, it's a turnoff for a lot of people. 
You know, it, it, I think people, it's not 2013 anymore. You know, streams, it's a normal thing. We have technology and capabilities like you're talking, you know, anyone can put together a competent stream these days and put something that sounds both decent quality audio wise, as well as at least decent enough camera work too, which is important in sports. You know, you gotta know how to track, you gotta know how to follow players and the ball, you know? And I, I think that I only bring this up and why we're bringing this up now is because it keeps happening. And I don't know how we, I guess we're trying to say, how do we get this to the point where we can have it where day one, we have almost this to none, of, like basically little to none of it happen. You know, we are on the same page week one, instead of having to go on to a community and bash each other about these broadcasts year after year after year, and just focus on the football. To me as an outsider, you know, who, who's kind of lost a lot of his NAL contacts over the last couple of years, it's not that it's bashing anymore. It's the same complaints, but now more and more fans are able to pick up on it because one, you either haven't fixed it from the previous year or two, the standard has risen. And when you have those two things factoring in, it just destroys all of your marketing and all of your pushes that you could get. One of the things that I'm sure you'll talk about or have talked about on other segments of the show is how little the Nets had into the gameplay this week. That was the one marketing thing that we heard from the NAL in the entire offseason. The Nets are back. The Nets are back. They didn't do much. You know what we are talking about? We're talking about not being able to see a score bug. We're talking about little things impacting entire franchise's ability to connect with other franchises and fan bases you're you're losing that option now it's it's a, a rough spot for the nal because it shows that right now any kind of attempt that they have to implement things league-wide is going to be very difficult for them it's not just getting the right you know camera operator because you know what that west texas person i can tell you exactly what was wrong with them then they left the locks on their tripod too long and too hard they were struggling to move it over they were trying to force everything in and they were laid on their tracks that's a very fixable thing there's so many fixable things that you can pick up when you start looking into it as like let's say orlando is the best uh best streaming group for example their score bug is very very minimalistic and and we've seen graphics be a problem as well you know very very limited in their talent uh very limited in, in experience and and if you just have it where that's not your focus mm -hmm. and you're focusing on other things then it can it can bite you sometimes when it when it gets into this point what i would suggest the nal do first and foremost is to call up and just have a, a zoom between your broadcasting groups between everybody in the in the league i want your directors i want your commentators i want your cameramen if you can and your producers if you can too but i don't want an owner there i don't want i i don't want an owner i don't want a coach i don't want anything anybody like that because i want to i want to know what is actually throwing the monkey wrench in each one because the thing is, is that you may actually have the solution for whatever happened in West Texas and Orlando, but what Orlando struggles with may be fixed by somebody in Albany. And, and Albany gets fixed in Carolina, and Carolina gets fixed in San Antonio. The way that this moves around is so important to have that, that collectivism as a league is only going to make things stronger for you. And that can be a real big difference moving forward. 
and, and again, we're, this is supposed to be constructive. Like we want, and, and Jim, you, you've, I would love to hear from you on this too, but I, I think we're not all expecting a Jacksonville sharks. Okay. Not every organization can have a Jacksonville or Orlando budget or even an Albany budget, but like some consistent level of normalcy to get at least a person that, you know, has competent camera shooting has competent, you know, production skill to mix and balance audio. I think that's the floor we want. Just something that at least is watchable in a modern day so that if we have a new fan, because diehards, they'll watch through this. They want to follow their teams. You know, the arena community, God bless them. They love their team. They will watch through stuff like that. But growing the community, that's the next step for the NAL. If you want to grow, that is an ease of access and ease of, I would say, intrigue and intro is to get some sort of broadcast floor that is respectable for a newcomer, not just a diehard, specifically the newcomer, the casual fan. What's unique is, especially during the West Texas game, when you have a prominent power in the arena game, Jacksonville, with a fan base that does follow this team. Well, they will let you know too. Those guys definitely will. I I was, of course, last week, again, I made made a pass a wedding. Um, survived. Uh, I literally got on the second half and watched and was watching the chat, and it was the, the Shark fans were like, what did the Sharks just do? They scored. How did they score? Like, the camera guy was behind, um, and when we got replays, it was 10,000 replays for one play, so the fans were getting aggressive, like, what, 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 what plays the actual play? Like, that, it, it's not bashing West Texas, is that if you're trying to sell your your team, your organization to a league, taking off another fan base for not watching their team as they wait all off season two really puts a divide in league. And I've, I've had text messages. I have people message us on our Discord. I have people message me personal messaging our website, our Facebook and everything. What in the heck is going on in West Texas? And I go, I don't know. I have no idea what's going on. But – I, I, I like to point West Texas to the San Antonio side of things. San Antonio was just like that the first game of the season last year. They were they they had no idea what was going on. Something clicked, and all of a sudden they're one of the top-tier broadcasting crews, top-tier uh, coverage. They had some issues with the graphic early in the game, but they fixed it. And it was presented more. You saw the whole field. One of the things, one of the most common critiques – and things I've seen on message boards and even on that live YouTube stream in West Texas is you didn't see the net at all. You didn't even see where the kicks go went. You didn't see if the guy made a deuce or made the extra point. The only thing you saw was five, ten yards or five, ten feet above the wall, and that was it. And, and that comes down like, to just camera basics. I mean, yeah. zoom out a little, you know, get level the tripod, which that and, was something that got me as also production was that, that – that was one issue. There's got to be a level on your tripod. Is well. Well, well, there's there's a lot of these issues that are small, but I, I I truly wonder when's the first time they put this kit together. When is the first time that they they set up the entire show? I mean, one of the reasons why first games are always so difficult is because you don't usually get a lot of time to put the staffers together for a dry run. Mm-hmm. I mean, we heard it like 
the reason why I feel comfortable in the cameraman for, for that one team is because you saw where the things were starting to lack and lock. You know, that that's teachable. You can get past that. I, I love the commentary that I heard when I heard it, but the oh, audio yeah. was rough. So, you know, like exactly. not only just talking about, you know, you're, you're talking about division of powers. Now we're talking about things that are beyond what is based on just equipment, but it's also about prep. And so what is the standard that you want for first game compared to last game of the season? And what's the standard that you have because you want to focus on growth compared to excellence right off the bat. I mean, this was the first taste that Jacksonville fans had this season. And now they got to stop and think, am I going to stay home on a Saturday night and watch this, not, you know, risking the scenario of having another bad feed, or am I going to do all of the other fun things in Jacksonville that day? And that's what every market has to do. When you go to like, without dealing with any, other league in particular, mm -hmm. there are leagues that have way more travel, that have way more distance to cover, and their fan bases don't don't make the trip. You know, I, I think the NAL is very lucky that there's only a couple of trips that are outlandish for for the teams to make. But in that that sense, you'll get a lot of fans that come along too, and so they show up and they 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 help out and they they enjoy that fan experience. But for the ones that don't, for the ones that have to work, for the ones that you know are on shift work or something like that, it, it makes it difficult to follow. And and so you have to think about your target audience in this case all the way through compared to what the standards are that you're living up to. Again, this is supposed to be just positive critique and and stuff like that because this is what the fourth year in a row we've had a sit sit aside and have a big conversation that this has been a problem mm -hmm. so yeah there, I, this, I mean this is almost like i a, don't think it gets to this like point plea. if you weren't talking about it you know right i mean this is a plea like we know it's been building i, I bet years. i bet i'm talking right now some of us are being watched as we speak by an nal owner or an nal coach an NAL player and there some of them might be shaking their heads others you know I, I'm hoping you're listening to the, this and I I think what I know West Texas can fix this you know I'm just gonna put it out there too like for their own like own individual prospect you know everyone else we talk broadcast quality too but I guess just because West Texas got a lot of shellacking that ownership's good uh, the the Kur the curse family company I trust them they can fix this I know that this... they are gonna look into it it's just I want to stop having the same conversation exactly. at every beginning of a year again, because it is fixable as Bryce and I are saying, and it, you can do this guys. And it's not nothing major. It's like simple tweaks and it's better as like a couple of years ago, we had issues where the feeds were bad because the arena didn't have, you know, proper connections. Well, they introduced T-Bubble 5G. I'm not advertising them, but still, now I know actually arena teams having that in their building because of the streaming issues. Um, it, it's a small things like the broadcast crew, Texas, West Texas, was good. Was they funny? It, they had some good comments. You, 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 they introduced their players to the league. Problem is, is that the camera, the how they presented it, didn't present what West Texas is. And those are easy little fixes that can go miles in the future and think about this though two weeks from now we're going to have their our second new arena team having their first home game and i i implore if the Fayetteville ownership is watching uh that to ease caution because i do think again you're trying to grow a base mm -hmm. this is an easy way to do it 
is to have a very watchable stream. You know, and again, it doesn't, if you don't have the money like in Orlando or a Jacksonville or an Albany to do it, you know, I get it. You can do it without having to go a, that crazy. Just make a solid floor to where we can watch the game on a normal basis. And we can and understand how, the commentators. That's what we Fayetteville want. Is, That's all we want to start. How Fayetteville is, it could be one of the better teams in the league. So you would need to have them on a great broadcast. And that's the thing, too. They're 1-0. They just set the scoring record. That's so right. I guess this is a warning for that, too. I hope that stream two weeks from now is also great as well, because that'll help. That should help. Bryce, before we let you go, I have one question. Um, your opinions about a one-league graphic, should that be something implemented in the future for the National Arena? Universal score bugs. Universal, universal score bugs are so crucial in terms of your league branding. I know that each individual team kind of has that one look that they like, and, and I'm not here to, to, to debate, you know, which one looks prettier. Mm -hmm. But when you're talking about branding, people need to look and say, yeah, that's an NAL game. And they need to have that. And so there's a couple ways that you can do that in terms of the programs that you use, in terms of a, a, a one person from the league officially making the graphics, that kind of stuff. And once you put that overlay up, you can be creative with other overlays. You see, all, like for the fans right now, you see all the overlays that are, are part of this screen right now. If we can do this in screen, you know, in, in StreamYard, which is a program that I've used numerous times, then this is all something that can be used once you have the bigger equipment and, and all the bu buttons and everything else like that. It's just a matter of implementing them. And that's something that, that can happen from, from top to bottom. And, I, you know, one thing that I wanted to play off of Zach is that I was out of journalism for a long time. I used the indoor and arena game to get back into functional journalism to get where I am now to editing, you know, being the, the editor of a new newspaper, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of stuff is, is big. These are the, the things that you have. Every single person in all of these large markets that are looking for opportunities to learn and get experience are going to want to be in on your crew. And you know what? If that's the crew that, that gave you your shot, you're going to be a fan for life. There's so many people that say, hey, I was a, an athletic trainer for that team when I was in college. I, I worked the camera. I was a part of their social media group. They find a connection. And these are the people that you want around. And honestly, they're going to be teachable. They're going to be, they're going to be excited to learn. And all you need is maybe an extra hour or so a week to kind of line things up and make sure that people feel comfortable and you're going to see it and feel it in your cast. And it's going to be so awesome once everything gets lined up and for West Texas, making the jump into this league, you know, I know that this was a big jump for them. You know, let's not minimize the fact that, you know, all the people that they had regularly, you know, now had to make that jump up to NAL standards. And that's a tough one for, for a lot of things. I think we, you know, there's things off the field, on the field, on the stream that all have that aspect. So I, I just want to say, even though that I kind of, you know, you know, ripped on some people, it's meant in the goal to get better because we all want the NAL to succeed. And that's the thing. The end of the day, this is a we've done tough love in the past on this show and we're doing it again because we know people in this league listen to this show and we just want the best for this sport to grow. That is what we're advocating. And. I, I, Jim, Bryce, we implore you again, take a listen, you know, put this in your pocket, the executive board in particular, you guys are making the decisions for the league. 
if you're watching this show, put that in your pocket, go into the next league meeting and talk about this a little more seriously, because I think it should be something that, you know, if, if, and when you get more expansion opportunities too, that's something that'll have to come up. And I hope we don't have to repeat that again. So, you know, just take some words, think about it a little harder and we'll keep on talking about it <laughs> as, long also, as, as long as, as long unfortunately, if it comes up again. Also one of the big, one of the big critiques from the people, you know, it's us or the fans are really like there needs to be as uh, something to change the players, families who can't go to these games that want to watch their, want, their, well, their, they their, want to see their, their kids play. play and tape. Tape exactly. for these players too. And, and for the players so they can, you know, send it to another league, probably finally live that dream in the NFL. You have good quality of film by good broadcast, and that just makes your brand even bigger. And like what you mentioned and earlier, I don't know about you, Bryce, but the quality of football in the NEL is good from this weekend's games. There's talent there, and I want our talent to be shown um, at the best possible um presentation the best quality the best audio and the best presentation that the arena game should be presented to be um that's the only thing that, see i have too much love for this sport uh i've watched we all, all three games all three of us man <laughs> i got uh, I, back I in it. the head <laughs> like what are you doing nothing oh turn foot down <laughs> but so yeah <laughs> um it, it's a friendly uh we're, we're critiquing the league but we're it's just little things uh, passion for this without a passion you can't th- those are the things that really you know set it off so yeah bryce thanks a ton for joining us for this segment um appreciate the insight obviously good to chop it up someone that also does does broadcast journalism as as well like we do um and of course good to talk to a friend on the show as well and kind of put those thoughts out thank you very much and uh you know we uh chatting obviously week two rolls around <laughs> Sounds good. Have fun with the rest of the show. And my number is still the same. So if any owners want to reach out to me for help, I'd be happy to give it. All right. And there you have it. So, yeah, as we've talked, you know, just reiterating, like I said, we as a show, mm-hmm. one of our main goals was to push the league forward and to help promote. So owners, we know you watch. Take this as you will. We've always been giving advice to you guys or our thoughts as fans, as well as how we comment the game. Mm-hmm. We'll leave it at that. You have a segment to analyze, discuss as you need, but it is vital to the league's future. That is as simply as we're going to put it to end this bit. I'll obviously let you have a word, Jim, because I'm not just let you let it leave. But that's the truth. This is the league's future that we're talking about here. You know, grow again, grow the game. Mm-hmm. We want to grow Arena back to where it was. That's a step you have to take, is all it is. It's a, it's a step you have to take, and if the National Arena League wants to be considered the Arena League of all Arena Leagues in this country, it has to present itself as the number one league. And for me, we have the talent, we have the players, we have the coaches, we have great fans, and if you present it better on YouTube and you present it better with proper sponsorships and um, but uh, graphic bugs, uh, score bugs. Um, so you guys call it score bugs. We call mm-hmm. us graphic bugs for the the industry I'm in. <laughs> it it is a simple little things, and it's last year it was like okay, getting over it, but we can buy our tongue. Two years ago it was just uh, we didn't have no say in the fight. A couple years ago it was like it was just there. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
it's not every team. There are teams in this league that do great production. There it's are. The, and there's teams in we had a couple we had a team last year that they had difficulties because of their venue and it was notorious because of their venue. Um, but it's not, a, not, this is not bashing the people who do this job. We're in the industry. We know how it is, how it's so hard to do perfection. And sometimes technology does not allow you to be a perfectionist in this field. So there are some challenges, but there are some things that you can learn from each game from this year, from last year, from a couple of years ago. That you can say, okay, I know why the fans are getting aggravated by this. I know why the fans are getting aggravated by this. And one of one of the statements from last year that I still remember is like, why is the NAL quality broadcast not league wide like how it was done for the NAL playoffs? Like both broadcasts and NAL playoffs last year were perfect, and they had both they had playoff graphics and all. And I was like, that's a goal that we should go forth. And mm-hmm. honestly, for West Texas, this is their first time. Uh, there was issues in San Antonio where the, the, the wrong team was getting points on their scorecard. Uh, and up in uh, in Orlando, they had a hard time to a uh, hard time to just uh, get their sound ready. So there's. Those are things that are done behind scenes, uh, but we're, what we're trying to do is just present that we have a league that is an industry that's that's in, that's growing, and this is just not to present your quality of broadcast to your fans. You got to remember, you're also recruiting players too, and if players want to go play football, one of the good recruiting is like, hey, you'll be on YouTube, you'll be on, you'll be seen by thousands of people, you get your film. If players don't get their film, because we've seen multiple players on our show, and the highlights we've seen, they're only they're getting their highlights from YouTube, from the yep. actual broadcast. And if players don't get their broadcast, it doesn't get them the, it doesn't give them the chance to present themselves to a better opportunity or a bigger opportunity like the Canadian Football League, XFL, USFL, or even the big league, the NFL. Um, and one of the things you do is have one universal quality. But then, back in the day, the original uh, league got big because they were the only one. But and also they had, you know, the major three-letter TV networks. Um, that does help a little right. bit. Right. I mean, we we know but, where we're at now. You know, that's, we we know where we're at now. But but know? getting there will take time. And I think right now we got to worry about the now. And from I know the league members don't owners don't really care about what's being said in the chat rooms or on live streams but if you if you have a chance to rewatch the West Texas Jacksonville live stream of the game don't watch the game watch the chat and you see how aggravated and, and how frustrated that chat was and it was disappointed because there's a lot of people who decided not to watch the game because of how it was presented Right. And uh, yeah, it's, it's something again, just advising it. I, I think mm-hmm. one other individual I do want to bring up, um, and I, I guess more just maybe execs go talk to this gentleman is uh, George Birnbaum, who is the NAL director of broadcasting. I feel that this is kind of a responsibility on his end as a league, as a league staff member, at least listed on the website, um, that this is kind of that wheelhouse. So maybe some more talks need to be had is the thing. Just, End of discussion for this is simple. Like we're not going to talk about the rest of the year. We're just going to bring it up now because truth is, 
if it I mean, if it happens again, you'll hear from us next year. That's what's going to happen. But we're not going to let up on this because I feel that we all feel, including Bryce, yeah. this can and should improve. Yeah, we, there's, no, there's little room for it anymore. We so. are the voice of the thousands of fans this weekend watching broadcasts. We were – you don't understand how much bombardment – I know the league does understand or our listeners might understand – they don't understand how much my phone was being blown up by countless of people from around the league fans saying what the, what's going on. Like we're here to express the frustration for certain teams and Jacksonville experienced it. There's other teams that are going to experience it from other different angles, but get in front. Like the saying goes, get in front of the horse. And, and, you, and you can direct in the right direction. And of course, yes, we won't mention it again like we did last year with the referees. We mentioned it once, and we never touched it again until mm-hmm. the good, bad, and ugly. Um, that episode's at the end of the season, the good, bad, and ugly. We may mention that. But this is a critique, again, to the people who broadcast these games, to the professionals who broke down the action. This was nothing. You had no control because your job is to call the game, color commentary. Most likely you're looking at a, uh, a iPad or uh, your notes, and you're calling the game. You have no idea what the camera angles are doing or what's going on. You guys were perfect. And for the camera angle people, these are a bunch of high, most likely college interns. This is their, they're getting introduced to the to this field, so they'll learn too. It's just we need to find a way as a as a league, as a fan base, and as a community to get ahead of this. Like we have a great brand of arena football. Like arena football is back. Ooh this year and it was a great brand and we just wanted to be presented to the best of its ability so when we have expansion rumors that always arise in the off season like mysterious eight new teams will pop out of nowhere <laughs> that's how it is as a trend um selling them on the youtube professional quality uh brings more eyes to the prize brings sponsors by the way sponsors love it great does. quality and that just tells you that the league can expand more. Uh, it's just the little things. And honestly, for the West Texas crew, you guys did a great job. It was an entertaining game despite, despite the technical difficulties. Um, you guys did a very good job, especially the stuff that's happened on the field with Top Gunner and the pyrotechnics. It's just it's just the little things. We're not bashing the whole organization. The, the, it's just, the it's in-person just experience things. looks great. Yes, if you're it looks going fun. To, it looks entertaining. That looks like arena esque, and obviously yes. Gunner being being there, and like I said, the, the pyrotechnics after touchdowns—that's a nice right. touch, you know. Yeah. But but your broadcast will highlight that better if you improve the broadcast. Like yeah. that helps advertise. Hey, mm-hmm. want to be in person? Come on downtown to Odessa. Go and now, check out a game. See how that helps when it's watchable. Yeah. And and West Texas, why you bashing? It's like, well, last year San Antonio had the same exact issues. Probably San Antonio last year, they had broadcasters that did not know the game at all. They didn't know what the rules were until the new ownership group came in and brought their own people in. And the crew that's there now, are they're, they're legit. They're epic. They're professional. They know the game. And last year, Jacksonville had issues. Like, Jacksonville literally couldn't control their volume. Like, the person was talking and sounded like they were screaming with a mic down their throat. Um, um, that was aggravating. Uh, up north <laughs> Up, up, up in Albany, they had issues. Like, every team has issues. It's just that the, the consistency is don't make it a weekly thing. Like, yeah. those teams had issues, like, week one, week two, and they were corrected. We're just pointing this out. 
West Texas now. So week three, when you're get week four, week no, week four, I think they're home again. When you get your next home game, you turn on the game and it's perfect. Yeah, just time. helping you. So you have time. You have 14 week season. You got seven home games. Let's make the next six home rest of the next six home games there in Odessa. Some of the best broadcast. Uh, and you know that's a, that's what we want. We want this league to be you know A grade. You know plus A grade. I don't know what. What's the US, USDA grade? There we USDA go. USDA grade, prime yeah, time. Yeah, prime time. Uh, that's what we need for West Texas. It's all about the love. Like, we get criticized for this show for a lot of stuff we do, and we advance. Like, a lot of the graphics we do is because of our listeners saying, you need to do this, to do this, to do this. Uh, and again, we're, we're a voice for the fans, for you guys, um, to the owners, to the executives, because uh, we know a lot of you listen. Most of you will text me. Or text Zach and saying why you do this show. Might get a phone call, um, but still, this is just to tell you what the fans of the National Arena League are thinking right now about the broadcast. Just not this year alone, but the last five seasons. Mm-hmm. But seeing that we've been on for an hour, thirty minutes, I do apologize. We got one more game. We're gonna wrap it up pretty quick. It was a game of the week, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. Um, again, let's go to the happy talks. Uh, Game of the week was San Antonio taking on the Carolina Cobras, and the score was 41 to 40 in the Freeman Coliseum. Very, very well. I like to say, um, let me get the banner. I created one. I was just talking about technology. It was a sluggish battle in the Alamo, uh, um, where the uh, San Antonio Gunslingers hold off the Carolina Cobras 41 to 40 in the Freeman Coliseum. Marvell Nelson was 20 for 33 for 202 yards, three touchdowns. Philip. Mr. MVP Barnett, 10 receptions, 83 yards, two touchdowns. Kyler Rashad, uh, he got his stuff, five yard, uh, five receptions, 76 yards, a touchdown. He also had a couple returns and then touchdowns. Oh, he had Nico Thomas um, show up with two receptions, 24 yards. And, uh, on the other side of the ball, Charles McCollum, uh, again, 17th grade, two eleven, three touchdowns. And he had a guy that uh, surprised me was Jalen Ruma. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. Uh, four receptions, 79 yards, and two touchdowns. And Lance Evans was doing Lance Evans kind of things there in Carolina. So those are your, your quick recap stats for this game. Um, overall uh, points, uh, uh, observations of this game, uh, very sluggish throughout the game. It, unlike yes. what happened in West Texas, uh, where, where one team started to get their swing of things and the game started moving more uh, normal was there any game. This one... Never did. Oh, it was just back. It just got ugly. And sometimes in the game, it felt like the game stopped. Uh, the momentum was just uh, just was not there. Uh, also, uh, it started on. This is one key thing. Miles Kelly. Uh, uh, he went down with injury. One thing I noticed about Carolina's game, they were starting to catch their groove, get on, get, get catch on fire, because Miles Kelly was getting involved with Lance Evans. And the team started to move the football until he went down. He got sluggish again. Arvell Nelson on San Antonio's side of things. We had him on the show last week. Uh, sluggish? I think it's just early jitterbugs. I would have thought that mm-hmm. the second half it would have been like, picked up. Uh, but it all came down to the questionable decision to go for it at the end, except for just kicking the extra point to tie the game. Um, it, we present this game as a, the game of the week because we thought it was going to be one of the most high-explosive games we didn't know it was coming out of Orlando. 
But one of the things I did, did notice about this game, I think Carolina and San Antonio are closer to each other to be even teams than, than we thought in this offseason that San Antonio was far better than Carolina. I think Carolina showed a lot of people this past weekend that they're toe-to-toe with a team like San Antonio. Yeah, I think I think one thing that impressed me about Carolina is that, you know, I was wondering, first off, I was wondering, you know, how, how mobile was Charles McComb going to be? He's still pretty mobile. Dude was able to run in two TDs, was able to escape the pocket really well and buy himself some time. So, Charles, if you even listen in, I'm sorry I ever doubted you. I'm just going to put that out there. Uh, second thing forward for the Cobras, um, defensively, you know, they had to retool a lot of positions, I thought. They did a pretty decent job. Um, I thought they made Arvell Nelson a little uncomfortable in that you know, he was throwing high. Honestly, there were a lot of times if Carolina can just come down with an interception, you wonder if this game goes the other direction. Because, I mean, Arvell threw several balls that were just high above his targets, and at least four times, maybe five if I'm miscounting one, he just had to, guys would just have it slip through their fingers. They just couldn't come down with a pick. And I think Carolina's got something going here where they can, like you're right, they can compete with anybody, I think, or at least they can keep up and they can make games a battle every single weekend. Um, something I got to say, though, that I was, what did shock me and was disappointing was that this game actually was in their grasp if T.C. Stevens can hit extra points. And that's what really was sad was I know that, you know, it maybe is a little bit different with the Nets with the setup for the field goal posts, but man, four missed extra points and you lose by a one and you, it came down to a two point conversion. It really makes you wonder what could have been. And I mean, credit, you know, Stevens did give help, give points back. I mean, he did kick a deuce. He did cause the main, the lone bar ball in the weekend that actually helped Carolina. They scored on that kickoff. They had a 10 point swing. <laughs> they had a 10 point swing that is um, in that span or actually nine point swing in that span because of the fact that they got a ball to bounce off the crossbar and land gingerly into the hands of their, of their returning unit. I'm just saying like, I, I was shocked that the extra points were the problem for him. Uh, and I'm hoping that that improves because you, I mean, you're going to be in tight competition all year. We've talked, this is going to be a tough win every week no matter what team you're playing even with west texas looking the way they were even with orlando falling flat one week it's week one and both those teams had aspects that are going to make you have to play tight games and especially in a season where some of these games can be crucial for seeding and carolina is one of those teams we think is either just in or will just miss that's a game you wish you had back early in the year one point difference and credit it's funny. I actually, uh, for my other show, uh, USFL podcast, I was talking with DJ Myers, who, by the way, congrats to him making the roster for the USFL's Memphis Showboats and kind of to- holding the torch for the NAL in that league. Um, something he told me about Jim is apparently James Fuller is very aggressive as a play caller when it comes to extra points and two point conversions. And he actually was watching the game, DJ, that is. And he, he said he, he said it was almost like deja vu from last year when they played San Antonio because they did the same thing in, I believe it was in overtime. Their sec, one of their, one of their later season matchups. And sure enough, they didn't convert the two pointer games basically over at that point. But Hey, James four has to be aggressive. And if you're not kick, if you're not getting those kicks in, 
I mean, what do you got to lose? You can't knock him. They were he was Stevens was 0 for 4 on the on the day. I would have gone for 2 2 as well because apparently he wasn't automatic from that range either. Well, what's stunning is it's both kickers. Like, yeah. We we this when we were hyping up this game, we thought these were two of the best kickers in the league, and we thought Deuce was going to be dropping left and right. One Deuce by DC Stevens. The scoreboard is apparently a villain in the Freeman Coliseum. Yes. I don't remember being that, that bad last year, but it is. And also, good job bringing up the scoreboard. Uh, they hit the scoreboard a couple of times, and teams were getting points, and then the rule was changed. And we saw it on Discord. We saw it on Facebook. The rules, the only time a team is awarded a point if the kick goes out of bounds either the left side or the right side of the net. If it hits the the scoreboard, it is considered how it either the kick went over either over the net or under the net. Um, that's how it's ruled. So mm-hmm. if you kick the scoreboard, you're not you're not getting the point. Sorry. Um, I think San Antonio, whoever, I think it's the referee group that didn't understand that, but that was confirmed um, by a, a league source of mine. It's yeah, it's like no, that's not a point. That just it's just the ball gets placed at the five yard line and you go and play football. Um, but yeah, that's that was unique. And also, so I don't remember San Antonio being the issue or that scoreboard last year because that's why I don't remember either. Pier- I thought it was pretty crisp, and but apparently that became a problem, well, Drew especially Pearson with hit, Drew Pearson. He had four deuces against Jacksonville last year in that building. Where Barber couldn't even, uh, Bear couldn't mm. even hit one. Did um, someone not raise the scoreboard high enough? <laughs> why would? Well, then maybe thought TCC was. There's like we got lower this for TC. Um, Come lower for TC. <laughs> uh, it, it's, 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 you can say it's issues or, or not issues, but it was just strange how you we have two of the marquee kickers in a arena game struggle. Um, but also when you look around the league. You had the kicker. I forgot the kicker's name in Fayetteville. Um, I think Awa, Awa, uh, A. I forgot. It's uh, Eric. Eric Amaya is what his Amaya. name is. Dude okay. was automatic from extra points. Couldn't get for, couldn't get the range for deuces. But hey, look, if you're draining extra points, you are still very valuable in this league. Like I said, <laughs> yeah. TC Stevens didn't hit a single one. He missed all his extra points. They lost by a one. Just imagine if he hits them. Then we're talking a completely different game where San Antonio is on their heels at the end with 10 seconds to play. I don't, I don't think we do rewards for kickers. I think we, they could be specialists of the, of the year or specialists of the week. I think Daniel Justino for Jacksonville is going to win the specialist of the week award. Uh, he had a deuce and he was perfect for extra points. Yeah, last year they did offense, defense, special teams, and then they would do the Ironman a little later mm-hmm. in the day. So uh, we, it should be the same thing. We don't, we don't know what the results are for that yet. Uh, they will be. Well, this show drops on Tuesday this week. Uh, those more usually don't drop until Wednesday by the league. So we'll retweet it and, and drop it. Um, but one of the things I want to mention about the San Antonio game itself against Carolina is the the. Yes, I know it's not Orlando's attendance, but a good crowd did show up. In San Antonio, it felt like a mid-season type of game, um, which for me it actually uh, puts me to uh, makes me feel better because at that same time they were playing. I think the Brahmas were playing at the same time around that around that same 
same weekend. So. so, I mean, you have to compete with selling tickets to people that yeah. also are going to a different football game yeah. as well. And now, now both in Orlando and in San Antonio, they don't have to worry about the other league. They're done. done. Um, so we don't have to worry about Orlando. They, they're, they're, I think I have my bold prediction. I remember I said a couple weeks ago, I said Orlando's going to be the first one to reach the 10K in the home game. I think they're really going to do it this year. They're already at 7,800 7, the first I mean, I, I mean, what, what else can we say again? I'm yeah. impressed that that opening number, mm-hmm. and I mean, I just, I that just means they're back. You know, like I said, the gunsling, like we talked, gunslingers. You have to compete with the second football team, but again, they don't have a home game until May, so Correct. they got time to build this up. And again, they're already showing they're going to be a hard out again and one of the better teams. You know, even with Arvell Nelson looking a little rusty a bit. I mean, defensively, Arthur Hobbs, great addition. You know. Yeah. Love, loved what he did. Calvin Fance was, he was getting in there. He sacked McCollum at least one time in this game too. You know, those are good additions that were former Alexander. opening guys. You know, Alexander, Alexander as well, Alexander. who, funny enough, was a Brahma until he got, until he was uh, actually injured earlier in the year and then had to be put on reserve. But he's a guy that came back from being on the exclusive list for the, for the gunslingers and, that's another promising, you know, high caliber defensive guy that was up there in all NAL talent last year. I mean, that side of the ball, even with Arvell, if even if he has a few passes go higher, as we've talked in the past, where you know he's sometimes guaranteed maybe to have a pick, or at least a pick or close to a pick every game. You have a defense that can back it up, and they did. They caused four and outs during that game. Credit, you know, Carolina did too, but. San Antonio, I mean, they made it just as much hell on Carolina in the early going as the Cobras did back at them. So, you know, that defense, they had some, they added some even more vital pieces this year. You know, and then you also, of course, got Cody Brooks back there too, who had his own plays during this game as well that were vital. I mean, they're going to be a hard one to pass on for a lot of the season. And they're going to be a hard one for you to protect against too. If you, if you have McCollum getting sacked, who's mobile, and they has decent offensive line talent in front of him. Oh boy, good luck to the rest of the league because <laughs> I don't know how you defend fan, yeah. fans and Alexander coming off the edges. There. I just don't know how you do it. <laughs> well, it's week one, and one thing about week one is that it's again the first week of the season. Duh, duh. Um, <laughs> but, but also an interesting stat uh, here: uh, teams that start one and zero in the end. Nail make the playoffs 89% of the time. So that's pretty good. Teams that start 0-1 make the playoffs 67% of the time. Uh, hmm. uh, so there's still a high chance for that you will most majority will make the playoffs. Uh, but again, it's week one. And one thing about week one, you can look good one week and look like look like a garbage champ. A garbage garbage can, not tran. What, what garbage tran? Whatever. Um, Jim's going off of Haywire. But anyway, uh, <laughs> You're week one me. in the books. Week one's in the book, books. There's some ups. There's some downs. There's some corrections and some critiquing that we need to do to present this game even more. But coming up next week, we do have another topic, but we've been on the show for a while. We're going to move it to the uh, NA. Oh, excuse me. There we go. Again. We're going to move it to this week's show, uh, Nail Game Day, because uh, it is the first, Albany. First topic, too. We'll, we'll do it the it, first it, thing into the game, because I know some of you want us to, want us to hear our take mm-hmm. on uh, – We'll, we'll spill the beans, Tom Manas, yeah, and yeah. that arrangement out there. We will talk yes. about it first thing on our preview show. As uh, as uh, in a, on any game day, game of the week is the Orlando 
Predators traveling to the Albany Empire as the mm-hmm. Albany Empire start the 2023 season in the National Arena League. Also, we got two other games covered on, on game day as the undefeated San Antonio Gunslingers travel to the Jacksonville Sharks, take on the undefeated Jacksonville Sharks. Also, West Texas travels to the Carolina Cobras. That is week two action of the National Arena League. Um, I am... I'm Jim, by the way. <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> the end of the show. Whoa, here we go. Yeah. Yeah. I'm that means we're done. That's it. I'm Jim. Hi. Hi. Um, uh, to, uh, again, week one, there's ups, there's downs, there's stuff to critique. Uh, let's get better as a team. Let's get better as an organization. Let's get better as a fan base and community in the league uh, to pr- push forward. Uh, I am Jim Renee. That is Zach Kyleman. <laughs> oh, this has been a long show, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see you for NL Game Day pre in week two action of the National Arena League. This is Inside the Walls, NAL Rebound. We'll see you guys on Friday. Covering all your favorite parts of the 50-yard fight, this is the Inside the Walls podcast with Zach Heilman and Jim Murnier.